0: back. Theo 102. Good morning welcome to you Welcome huge crowd. Welcome. Whoa! Oh, oh, we're so excited Sounds that like hundreds you're with of us. people, hundreds of people in the auditorium today. Hundreds of people. Hundreds of you in spirit, not in body, but we know that you're with us
1: wherever you are completing your course. We hope that you are safe and sound. We're excited to be finishing the course with you. We're talking about the life everlasting this week. The
0: life everlasting. We're breaking the last creedal phrase, life everlasting, amen, into two of them just to kind of have have a wind down here of of two, two weeks of topics. This week, the life everlasting with our special guest lecture, indeed you know him well dr. Joseph Clare
1: we are excited
0: dr. Clare is going to be with us what's something that the students might not know about dr. Joseph Clare
1: that we could tell them
0: I don't know we've been through a lot of rounds of these and I can't remember what we already said <laughs> or what I should say that then he would be okay with me saying
1: hmm we know he likes the bachelor
0: probably anything I yeah I find that to be an incongruous fact about him that he likes the bachelor I wonder if he still likes the bachelor it was a thing a while Let's ago but see
1: if he's caught up to this season Oh. Maybe he'll answer that in his lecture on the life everlasting, because if there's something that's going to last forever, it's going to be the TV show, The Bachelor.
0: That just never stops. As no. as long as It's there a are car crash th- as that as you long cannot as there are stop. People, it just keeps crashing. That's how, many, right. how many crashes mm-hmm. can we have? Let's recite the creed together before we bring them out. Are you ready? I believe, I believe in, in God, in the, Father the, Father Almighty, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, And the life everlasting. Welcome, Dr. Claire. Welcome, Dr. Claire. Welcome, Dr. Claire.
1: Yeah! Happy Easter to you guys. Uh, I'm not yet at Easter, but it's Easter week, and you'll be catching this on Easter Monday. So, welcome. I have the great honor of of working with these last couple lines of the creed, this hope, this belief in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting and um, i just want to work our way through it today but i was reminded both because of this last line in the creed and because of the the place we're in as a culture as a world with the coronavirus about the presence of death and a story came to mind when i was in seminary i was about 24 not much older than you guys my grandfather passed away and my grandpa had lived his life in the Bay Area, but my grandma had died and he had moved cross country um, out to North Carolina. He died sort of mysteriously uh, in a motel outside of Knoxville in the night, and um, he passed away suddenly. My dad called me and said, Joe, I really would love for you to go down to the Bay Area with me and uh, pray for your your grandpa before the funeral. So they're going to have his body sent from the East Coast to the West Coast to be buried near my grandma's plot in the Bay Area. Of course, as a dutiful son said, absolutely, yes, but with fear and trembling. And as I got to the mortuary, I don't know if any of you have been at a viewing um, before a funeral, But it dawned on me what I was about to do. And there was my grandfather, a handsome man in his best suit, kind of overly made-up face, totally at rest, at peace there in that box. And I walked forward, and I had gotten a little flask of oil um, at the local Christian bookstore, and I was to go up and pray for my grandpa. And as I went up, I kind of hand-tremblingly Reached forward and made the shape of the cross on his, his hard, cold forehead. And I prayed these words an ancient burial prayer from the early church that says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. After my awaking, he will raise me up, and in my body I shall see God. I myself shall see, and my eyes behold him who is my friend and not a stranger. That was a turning point for me in my own life of faith when I think I for the first time came in contact with what a wild, woolly, beautiful hope we have as Christians. And this Christian hope could be summarized as this. This is our eschatological hope. That's the big theological word for our hope for the final things, for the end of the story. And it goes like this. Christians believe that we can't imagine the life everlasting apart from the resurrection of the body. We can't imagine the life everlasting apart from the resurrection of the body. And this is kind of the hard turning point in the creed for all of us as we think about what we believe. What we've believed up to this point has been about things past, creation, incarnation, or things present, the church and the presence of the spirit. We're now talking about the future What we think will happen, what we hope for, expect, anticipate, and long for, it kind of puts the screws to the question of, I believe. Do you believe this stuff? Do we believe it? So this morning, I want to walk us through three parts of this Christian hope. First is, why do Christians say that we must think of the life everlasting in terms of the resurrection of the body? Why do Christians connect the life everlasting to the resurrection of the body and second what do we hope for in this bodily resurrected life everlasting and then finally i want to look at how we can make that hope our own so first why do christians say that we can only conceive of the life everlasting in terms of bodily resurrection it is a distinctive of the christian faith many religions believe in god believe in morality believe in miracles and the supernatural But it is, as the early Christian author Augustine said, genuine Christian hope is confidence that we will in the resurrection inhabit these very bodies in which we have here toiled in this life. But in such a condition that no corruption or clumsiness will be allowed to characterize our flesh, no grief or annoyance to cloud our happiness. He says further that if faith in the resurrection of the body is taken away, all Christian teaching perishes. If the dead do not rise, we have no hope of a future life. But if the dead do rise, there will be a future life. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, of course, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope of the resurrection of the body. But why do Christians take it so seriously and make it so central? I think it works like this. Christians believe that the same God, the one God, who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, created the world. We talked about that at the beginning of the year. God the Father Almighty created heaven and earth. God came into the world in Jesus Christ, took on a human body in the incarnation, born of the Virgin Mary, was Jesus. The Holy Spirit is making a church out of us people and ultimately will bring us into that resurrected life with new bodies. That is, you see, there's a continuity there that says God thinks and knows the material world creation is good all the way through. He's going to redeem this thing. It's not created, fallen, trash it, start over, but it is rescue it, redeem it, deliver it from the inside. That's one God. And so the story of the creed is actually a story of God creating a good material world, it falling away and him redeeming it all the way to the new creation and the recreation of all things. That says a couple really important things for us as Christians, and that is we shouldn't think of our bodily life, the life of the body, and our spiritual lives, the life of the spirit, as two separate things. That's always been a great temptation. Many of the greatest philosophies in the world and even early Christian heresies that we talked about, like Gnosticism, have made the spiritual life very simple. They say the problem With the human condition is the material world. It's the body, all of its desires. It's this this flesh hanging and dragging us down. We just need to escape away from this world. And Christians have always said no to that. There's something holy and good about the created world, even if it's fallen. And our hope as Christians is that God himself will redeem it. So when we think about everlasting life, we don't think about just the immortality of the soul or the soul jumping out of the body one glad morning, flying away. But it is this gritty, gritty hope where we pray and and wait and long for God to redeem the whole of creation. It's not an escape. It's a rescue mission. And so you and I, um, these early other early Christian authors said, have a natural desire for flourishing, for things going well, for happiness, for bodily comfort uh, for well-being but we also have a desire for immortality and the two desires are connected and one early christian author put it this way that in christ we have a natural instinct to desire flourishing and immortality and jesus took on our mortality endured the death that we fear taught us to despise it that he might bestow on us what we long for so that's what we That's why we hope as Christians that the life everlasting is a bodily resurrected life. We now turn from why Christians only think of the life everlasting in terms of bodily resurrection to what the life everlasting, the bodily resurrected life everlasting, amounts to. And there's three three aspects I want to highlight. One is it's a Jesus-like bodily resurrected life everlasting second is it's a spiritual material body that we hope for and finally it's a redeemed body don't mind my dog in the background trying to get out first it's a Jesus like body that is the one we hope for in the life everlasting our hope in a resurrected body you cannot emphasize that enough is grounded in Jesus' resurrection We are totally without any warrant or evidence to think that bodies are raised and and are everlasting apart from what we glimpsed in Jesus. And yet, mysteriously, what we saw in Jesus' resurrection spoke to our deepest longings. Just like I said a moment ago, we long for happiness, for flourishing, for wholeness, for health, and we long for immortality. We don't like our mortality we don't like death we don't like an end and so it's it satisfies our longing and yet it's unexpected unaccounted for it's a gift who could think that bodies are raised from the dead and so very very much in the new testament read the last chapters of most the gospels especially john and luke It's filled with these post-resurrection appearances by Jesus to the surprise of his closest followers. John 20, I just want to highlight for a minute. I encourage you to read it this Easter week, just after Easter. First, he appears to Mary Magdalene just outside the tomb. He's kind of ethereal, but he's very real, very physical. Then he appears to the disciples. The disciples are afraid, doors locked There, and Jesus just kind of comes into the room, so he's got like an ability to move through walls, perhaps, but then he appears to doubting Thomas because he wasn't there and didn't think Jesus really did show up after the resurrection, and he shows Thomas the scars, the wounds in his hands and his side or the scars from the wounds, and then finally he shows up on the beach making breakfast there in Galilee for his disciples. He seems to be able to eat food like the rest of us, broils fish over a campfire. So we get little glimpses there that Jesus is very physical, yet has super physical or supernatural powers. And Paul, the apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, which is really a center chapter for thinking about this resurrected body, gives us a glimpse into what kind of body Jesus has and what kind of body we can hope for. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 and following, he says, someone asks, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body did they come? He says, listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We're not all going to die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality then the saying that is written will be fulfilled death has been swallowed up in victory where O death is your sting he uses the metaphor in first corinthians 15 of a seed so he says that right now we have like a physical corporeal body an animal body is what the technical language there is but we will be raised in spiritual bodies but he's keen to highlight there that it's not like physical flesh body and then ethereal, angel, otherworldly body. It's a transformed body. It's a transfigured body. It's a whole body. And he uses the metaphor of a seed growing into something much bigger than itself. And I just grabbed the seed pod from outside. It's from the big leaf maple, the Oregon maple on our property, my favorite tree. And it's just hard to believe that that 150-year-old massive, outstretched, big leaf maple came from this teeny little seed or whatever's inside this pod going into the ground and over much, much time growing into this great and glorious thing. That is unanticipated. There is the code. There is the the framework in there out of this teeny, teeny thing for something much bigger, much grander. So you get the sense there that almost like the movement from a caterpillar to a butterfly through a chrysalis there's this metamorphosis that's going to go on and it's important to emphasize that paul has in mind that your body now is the seed is the code is the framework is the stuff out of which the transformed spiritual super body comes and one of my favorite poets gerard manley hopkins 19th century british poet who's also a jesuit priest in his poem that nature is a Heraclidian fire and of the comfort of the resurrection. He says this, but vastness blurs and time beats level enough. The resurrection, a heart's clarion away griefs, gasping, joyless days, dejection across my foundering deck, shone a beacon and eternal flame flesh fade, mortal trash fall to the residuary worm world's wildfire leave, but ash in a flash at a trumpet crash, I am all at once what Christ is, since he was what I am. And this jack, joke, poor potsherd, patch matchwood, immortal diamond is immortal diamond. That's a lot to take in, but I love that last metaphor there, thinking of the movement from coal over time into this precious stone of a diamond. So what we're hoping for is a resurrected body, a Jesus-like body, a body that is a transfigured body, That's material, but also spiritual, as Paul says, fully transfigured. And finally, it's a redeemed body. And what do I mean by redeemed body? Christians have always thought that our bodies that we will have in the end, in heaven, will have the same material stuff of this body, but transformed and transfigured, and that that body will be redeemed, which means perfect, perfect but perfected weakness. And that's what I love about the the glimpses you get of Jesus's resurrected body, that there's still signs of his own suffering in this life for our sins, his own mortality. He's clearly glorified and otherworldly, but there's recognition of who he is, his identity, there's recognition of his suffering. And so imagine a body, not like the bodies we have right now, that are perfectly integrated perfect health perfect well-being ease of movement free from anxiety there's been speculation from authors throughout the ages that our bodies will be like the form of who we are us at our ideal peak age of maturity and well-being peak and perfect before the hairs started falling out from my head that point at which all the impediments, all the inabilities we have, all the afflictions will be turned inside out and made whole and perfect. And yet in that glimpse of Jesus' own resurrected body, Christians throughout the ages have thought that we will bear some of the scars of this life, especially those like martyrs who suffered for their faith and were killed, but even others of us, scars that are visible and invisible, those too will be part of our glory because we as Christians don't believe in perfection, we believe in redemption. Redemption is perfected weakness, it's wholeness that comes out of the ashes, as Hopkins says. And one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller of Redeemer New York City says, when all the wounds and scars and worst things that have happened to us turn into glory, all that is sad becomes untrue. All of it will be turned inside out, and you will know joy beyond the walls of the world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar that you bear. So live in the light of the resurrection and the renewal of this world. I now want to move from what it is that we hope for as Christians in this bodily resurrected life, this Jesus-like body, this Transformed material spiritual body, this redeemed body. And I want to finish on this question of how we make it our own. How do we make this hope our own? And man, in a lot of ways, I was thinking since the very beginning of the year, I knew that I was going to get to lecture toward the end of the year on this last phrase this hope of resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. It was kind of mounting up in me, thinking about the whole you know, course that we've been through. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Boom! What was gonna happen at the end? I thought we would be together. I thought I would be shouting up on the stage and lightning would come and many people would come and we'd recite the creed together. And yet here we are, I'm in my house talking to you on my iPhone on a little selfie stick, trying to convey something of the glory of this hope that we have as Christians. But I think in some ways it's perfect. Honestly, it's perfect. Because one of our greatest challenges as Christians, or people who are not yet Christians, is to take this stuff seriously, to have this hope even make a difference. And when else in your, to- in your life, in my life, have you thought this much about death, about the fragility of life? about our powerlessness in the face of it, about the fears of the economy uh, falling apart, about your future, about whether or not we'll be back together next year at George Fox. I mean, this is the time I'm at my house, we're homeschooling our kids all of a sudden and trying to go to the, <laughs> well, I haven't been helping as much as I should, trying to go to the grocery store and wipe everything down. It's just a strange time. And I ran across this quote from C.S. Lewis that, struck me um, that he wrote this lecture about learning in wartime in world war ii and he says this about death and i think that it's transferable for where we are in pandemic he says what does death or what does war rather do to death it certainly does not make death more frequent 100 percent of us die and the percentage cannot be increased It puts several deaths earlier, but I hardly suppose that that is what we fear. Certainly when the moment comes, it'll make little difference how many years we have behind us. Yet war does do something to death. It forces us to remember it. The only reason why the cancer at 60 or the paralysis at 75 don't bother us is that we forget them. War makes death real to us. And that would have been regarded as one of its blessings by most of the great Christians of the past. They thought it good for us to be always aware of our mortality. I'm inclined to think that they were right. I think you could, tran- you could just interpose the word pandemic in there for war. Pandemic does something to death. It forces us to remember it. The only reason why cancer at 60 doesn't bother us is that we forget it. But the pandemic makes death real to us, makes us aware of our mortality. It's a daily visual reminder and remembrance of our mortality, of our powerlessness. And I know for people who struggle uh, with with sickness um, and have been through real trials, maybe it's closer to you, or those who have been in positions of poverty and been poor, you know your powerlessness has been been close to you. And the gospel says that that's actually a good place to be. That's where our need for God and the need for this hope of bodily resurrected life everlasting comes in. And I have to admit part of why I don't think that much about the bodily resurrected life everlasting. I don't delight in it. I don't long for it. I don't anticipate it. I don't believe in it. Hope for it is because I'm addicted to comfort. I'm addicted to comfort and the illusions of my own power but what a crazy reminder to be in a moment where everyone in the world all of us human beings are saying we can't whatever science can throw at it whatever the economy can throw at it we cannot figure this thing out in a quick enough time to stop its spread and to stop these deaths so for a moment we feel as a collective our powerlessness as human beings and I believe in a mysterious way, that's right where God wants us. And I say that humbly and soberly, knowing how that impacts a lot of people's lives. So how do, we, how do we make this hope our own? We first have to recognize our powerlessness. We have to get over our comfort addiction and our illusions of power. And second, we just have to let Christ's risen life into us. That's the final word for us Uh, for you from me in this course. Let Christ's risen life into you. And by risen, that is the whole of his work in his crucifixion, in his death, in his resurrection. Let it into you. Open the floodgates of your heart. That's very simple, very practical. Go on a walk and talk to Jesus. Ask him into your day, into your time in this confusing time. Confess your sins to him. Tell him your fears and anxiety. Tell him your powerlessness. And tell them you long for this hope of resurrected, bodily resurrected, life everlasting. There's been this great story in the Wall Street Journal I read this week of a man in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, who survived a brush with death and had coronavirus or COVID-19. And he's now found out that his blood, because he was able to fight off COVID at death's door, is full of the antibodies uh, that you acquire from beating this Sickness, And he's giving as much blood as he possibly can to other patients with COVID-19 so that his antibodies can go into their blood and make a difference in saving their lives. And no, he's not giving his blood to the point of death, but he's giving as much as he possibly can. I thought, what a great visual reminder of where we are with Jesus. This is the great work of the Redeem- of the Redeemer, of the Mediator, Jesus, between us and God. He came and took on our mortality in a human body. He came and took on our sin at the cross. And now in his risen life and resurrected body, he can infuse and pour into us his risen life, filled with the antibodies for sin and death, our true enemy in this world that we live, in this universe. Let Christ's risen life into you. And finally, get into Christ. This great, this great line from Colossians chapter 3, I just want to finish with this. Paul says to the Colossians, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed With him in glory. I love the tense, the tense of that sentence that Paul gives us. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've opened your heart to him, opened your life, talked to him plainly, invited him into your life, as Dr. Payne said, in faith we are believing in and brought into Christ's death and resurrection. Notice the tense. Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, raised with Christ. Then you have already died with Christ, and your life is hidden with him and God. And when he is revealed, you also will be revealed with his glory. Notice that the phrasing there is that we have somehow already mysteriously faced death. The worst that you can possibly think of happening in this time. And truly, it is a scary time. The peak of this virus Outbreak is happening coincidingly perfectly with the Christian year when we celebrate Jesus' death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Sunday morning. The peak of our immortality, the peak of our hope for his resurrection life is coinciding with the peak of our powerlessness and our fear and anxiety. So I just want to think about that with you for a minute. For those of us who've called upon Jesus as Lord, made him our savior, believe in him in our heart, that he was born, that he died for our sins. He's been raised from the dead and he's in glory. We ourselves are vicariously in Jesus. That's what faith does. It unites us to him. By believing in him, we are united with him. So we don't have death to fear in the same way. We have already been raised with Christ and therefore need to get our minds out of the grave and get them up to heaven and seek the things that are above. So Theo 1. 10- Two, my final word to you is that this bodily resurrected life everlasting that we hope and long for has been made available to us in a very simple way. It's not a big religious whoop-to-do. It's not about even having the words of this ancient uh, creed memorized. It's about a simple, open recognition of our need, of our powerlessness, but of the bounty and riches of his love and his resurrected life That is being on offer to us in this season. So, thank you so much. Um, We look forward to being together in person before too long. God bless you. Happy Easter.